Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to Puck and Roll. Hello, and welcome to the Puck and Roll podcast. Today, we have a panel uh, with myself, Joshua Rosa and uh, Aaron Ivovich, and we're joined by a very special guest. Sam McGilligan from McKean's uh, Hockey joins us today. Sam, how's it going? I just muted my mic and now I'm unmuting it. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Doing well. Uh, so uh, the plan for this episode is uh, not overly structured. It's mainly just focusing on the 2023 draft class and mainly the players that, 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 that we like quite a bit uh, that we would rank in the range of, a fir- of our first round. Um, and obviously, uh, Josh and Aaron have also been watching quite a bit of scouting tape this season. So this should be a very fun roundtable discussion about the draft class. Uh, to get us started, uh, Sam, throw out a name of a prospect that, that, you are, that, that you will die on the hill of being higher on than anyone else. I think that'd be a fun start. Uh, I, the only player I can be a candidate for there is Jaden Perron. And even that, I don't know. I'm not, I don't think this is a year where I, there's going to be a player that's like so wildly above consensus. That only really happened like last year with Lambert because he yeah. was, he's amazing. <laughs> like this year, all the top guys are like, legitimately amazing like everyone in my top five is like almost viewed as like consensus top eight guys outside of crystal who might be like viewed a little bit lower by some but he's top eight by almost everybody as well in the public sphere yeah like, yeah and then you got <laughs> so Jaden perron would be six but even that like if i'm remembering correctly i have him at seven yeah personally. so you have him at seven I know Elite Prospects, their U.S. scout, ten. Joey. He's, oh, they have him oh, at 10, oh, yeah. but I know, Joey's but Joey higher like five, on. Right? Like, I don't know. Five or the number. Six or something. It, it, I don't know the number. So happy to I don't want to, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't want to speak for the guy. I don't know the number, but he's, he's smart with the stuff and he has him at six as well, I believe. If I'm thinking if I heard it right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's right. It's right in that range. I know he has him over like Will Smith and Oliver Moore. And he also really likes those guys. So I, do as well <laughs> that's actually the exact same situation and so do i like i i for me I, I feel like like there's a pretty clear top six in this draft class that i don't see changing on my own board to for the rest of the season uh i know there's one exception there uh with, with your board but i think the other top five guys 
we're also pretty solid on being the, the top tier with Connor Bedard alone at one, Fantilli at two, and then a mix of Carlson, Benson, Crystal. And then for me, Mitch Cobb is right in that in that mix as well. And for you, it's a tier below. But yeah, it's it's a very fun draft. And uh, off the air, we're talking about how fun it is that that this is like the draft for small players. And uh, I think we're all big fans of of small players because of how undervalued they are at the draft. So this is a pretty fun draft class for that exact reason. Yeah, I, think, I do. Yeah. Uh kind of wonder like if everyone who's good is small do they stay undervalued like which players are like some are gonna slip but like it's almost gonna be a pick a a guessing game of like oh which one's gonna slip like yeah who Jaden Perron's gonna slip so Jaden Perron is probably into the second I mean I get a lot of the reasons why people are a bit hesitant on Perron. There is a pretty like standard rule of like as much as incredible as small players are in junior leagues it's like if they're Five eight or less, or five nine or less, and they don't meet like a certain skill mobility yeah. threshold, they don't play. It's really that cut and dry almost all of the time. Yeah. What you're looking for is like the players who are like that on the threshold, just like a tinge below where you know they can get faster, you know they can get more skilled, especially the speed thing when they're like super underdeveloped. Uh Perron like is just a way- he could get the same growth chart Lane Hudson had that says, like, I can be 5'10 one <laughs> That's day. That's an exception. But... but I'm a big boy. Perron's not even a guy who, like, needs his size, he, which is interesting because interior players like that often, like, guys who come off the wall and cut inside and are really, really good at it are often the ones who get away with being a bit smaller. Like, being playing in the interior as much as he does is can be a real big like he's just getting banged up and thrown around style of play but Peron's entire game is built around escaping those situations and not having to go to the wall for it it's extremely high level stuff like yeah that's what makes him so exceptional to me and it's because like the some of the plays i've seen him just engineer are some of the best plays I've seen all year from anybody. They are as high level as you can find. He is sitting there spinning off of pressure one way, right into a second guy, baiting his stick to the left before moving to the right, and then hook passing it around him like through a third target to a cross slot shot that didn't end up being a goal. It was really tragic. But like it's plays like that where it's just like, whoa, what? That's it's not troubleshooting it either where like he's just like seeing it as it's happening going like ah like making a move because it's like a smart read to pressure that he wasn't accounting for it's like Perron his whole game is built around just like manipulate one way pressure comes this way but I'm ready for it manipulate him this way so I can get around him then make the play and it's like that's about as high level as you can get. Now, I mean, there's a lot of shifts and stuff like that where he just doesn't do it. There are games where he's not scoring as much. His production isn't as high as people want it to be, especially for Chicago Steel standards. The Chicago Steel aren't playing to Chicago Steel standards this year, so it's like it's a bit cut and dry. I think what you need to do is like look at the high-end plays you can pull off with Celebrini, and it's just like, hey, well, I can see you pulling that off with other NHLers. Like That's not like one of those, like you're just taking advantage of bad defenders, which they do. Of course they do. Like that's what you want to use the gel. You have to. Yeah. yeah, it's like junior leagues. Like if you're not taking advantage of the bad defenders, and like what are you doing? But like 
they're able to do it against like set defenses making the right rotations and they're able to just deconstruct it layer by layer and Perron's Celebrini is Celebrini so I wouldn't say he's an equal yeah. contributor but like he's as high end a contributor at some times he doesn't he lacks the consistency and Celebrini brings a larger game elsewhere Perron's also like insane in transition in theory yes. some games he has meh i think scouch's data has some like surprisingly like the the efficiency wasn't what i was expecting it to be but again it's like the high level stuff when it happens it's incredible and it's all in the middle of the ice like he's just not a perimeter player and though it's the perimeter players who are so reliant on cutting in like their game has to be perfect for me to think that it's going to like carry over and if it doesn't carry over it's like what are they going to be then but Perron kind of passes all this test. So there's a lot of risk, but like, I love this kid. Like he's probably my second or third favorite in the whole draft. Like when it comes to a lot of risk, he's gonna have a Lane Hudson style trajectory in the draft where at a certain point, it's a lot of risk. But once you're in like the mid second round, a lot of players are a lot of risk. Yeah. I never really know. Yeah, and the standard like, of player at that point is right. Like, I mean, like, like in the last draft, we saw guys like Artie and Duda go at like thirty fifth overall, right? Like, when you're seeing those types of pick ha- picks happen, passing on a guy like Lane Hudson or did did, did Duda go ahead of Furcus or like one pick behind? Duda Either way, like went, same range, okay, so same range. Probably yeah, fell. but if you're if you're if you're passing on like guys like Web Trikazov and even like Caliadelius and Lane Hudson. To pick an Artyom Duda, Sikora. right? Like, Sikora, it's not less less of an upside question there, right? But but even then, if if you want to play it safe in the second round, yeah, like like you don't don't go Duda, you go go like, Sikora, right? I, like, I will never get so over how badly Arizona used those picks after uh, how badly San, San Jose. used those picks after making that trade. I mean, yeah, and, and Arizona also drafted not great yeah uh, i i like the julian lutz pick but that was about it in the second round uh but going, going back for, to perron for one last point like i the thing that 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 immediately struck me with perron because after my first two viewings i wasn't like enamored with him uh like i i remember sam like, like we were we were talking about this uh and 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 you're like give him another try and i, I watched one more game and that game was the one where he started actually showing like everything that he could do but the one thing that was so consistent in, in like all of my viewings of Perron is just the, the dynamism of, of, an, of his off puck movement all over the ice oh like, that's the other if, thing if, i didn't even mention that one if it's the offensive zone off puck or or defensive zone in coverage he he knows exactly where to be he knows how to lose defenders he knows how to hit the blind spots he's constantly moving and it's so purposeful and so conscious, like he doesn't stumble into open ice. He, 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 everything he is creates with... it. Like he, 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 he creates his own open space by, by dragging defenders out a bit wider and then attacking the middle. Right. He's so middle oriented. Uh, like, yeah. And that, coaches, that was something that, that, that was amazing. Coaches yeah. love him like that. There, there's oh, for a, sure. He's a type of small player that a coach genuinely likes. Like Logan Stankovan is very similar in terms of his off puck movement. I mean, Stankovan plays with a bit more of that intensity and he's also just a bit more of a pest. And if, if we're talking like Stankovan, I, I, I'd bring like Gavin Brindley's name into the equation. That, that was that intensity. just about to go the direction with Perron and yeah, Brindley but, as but well. Stankoven, Perron and Brindley do it in like different ways, but. Stankovan's a lot bigger than Perron just in like stockiness. Like I believe Stankovan was 5'8", 173. Perron, uh, like, like his listed weight went from like 143 up to like 165. 
Yeah, okay. Uh, J- Jaden Perron is 142 pounds wet. Like, like I, he's, he's getting he's, strong. He plays for he, Chicago he, he, Steel. Like, he's undeniably getting stronger exactly. throughout the year. Like, that he is a, a top lot bigger now that's than he was in September. Like, a like lot that's bigger. a top tier program in like every yeah. possible measure you can look at. So, like, I have full faith in like what they're doing with him developmentally. I think a thing with Perron, just like adding on to the off puck movement point, is like he's so dynamic away from the puck like you said he's so purposeful but he doesn't over skate at the same time there's such a fine line between like high active players off the puck who can't recognize when they've just left the pocket that there was most valuable because they were too like brindley the puck like sorry like like brindley's a guy that needs to learn to slow down a little bit brindley could use some pace adjustments but i kind of more on the puck i'm I'm thinking more on the puck with him like like, on the puck it's more a thing of, of 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 he's not as deceptive as he could be if he just learned to slow down sometimes because he's constantly going full throttle. Yeah, I think part of that is Brinley's game, and I think another part of that is like that's what Michigan wants of him because he can. That's fair. Like he can slow down. Like you'll see it in little flashes. Like he'll slow down when it's like the. Super he did it a lot obvious. more during the World Juniors. Yeah, and I was just about more. to say, like when you saw Brinley at the World Juniors, and he they actually like moved. I was floored he made the team. I wanted him me to too. make the team. I was like yeah, he should, too. but I couldn't believe he actually me. did. I was so happy. Then I immediately thought of like 2020 Cole Caulfield when they were like go on yeah. the fourth. <laughs> line and bang on some boards and call it Caulfield did terrible. And go bumper on the on the power play. But I was like, Brindley plays in Michigan and he plays against like these. He plays that style of game. Like he can forecheck. He can make plays off the forecheck. Like he's small, but he's strong. He's sturdy. He gets really good center of gravity. Great posture when he's like protecting the puck. He, he reaches an exceptional, but he uses it. Like he knows what he's doing with it. And he's got that small area manipulation when he's using his reach. And he can combine it with like those sharp turns. And it can lead to some insane stuff. Like Brendley's potential is like through the roof of like what he could be. I don't know if he will be because like what yeah. he does with Michigan kind of, and like how he's being developed as a player, like kind of contradicts with the whole, like you could be a dynamo offensive superstar, but it's also like what makes Brindley so much more projectable anyways. Cause you're just like, you know, he plays pro style hockey for a small guy, but still has the skill and mobility to learn how to be more dynamic offensively. You pair him with the right guys in the NHL, Brindley will do really well, but I don't think you want him like being the guy on your top six, but you want him in your second line playing with your really good to see who's more of a line driver. Yeah. Whereas like Perron, you can legitimately see him on the first line, but you can also straight up see him not in the NHL, which is kind of exactly. why like I feel I, I it also because this is where like ranking Perron six almost becomes like a philosophical thing of like what are you building your list for? Like, are you building it for NHL teams? Or are you building it as if you were in charge? Like, like if I'm walking up to a podium, that means I have ownership of ownership is not the right word. I'd have Perron's rights. Like I have yes. Perron as a player. I am also involved with the organization that's developing him. If I'm not doing it, I know who is doing it. So I know whether or not they can do it. If I'm walking up to the stadium, I'm getting to the front and I say Jaden Perron's name at six overall because my top five are gone. Then I have a development team that's looked at him and they're like, yeah, we can do it. And then I don't like, 
that's kind of the flaw. Like I won't give up on Perron because he's small. I, if my coach is like benching him, I'm going to be like, dude, what the hell? I spent a sixth overall pick on him and he's disgusting. Can you stop with that? To yeah. the but extent also, that like, you can if, until he's legitimately bad. And the coach is if, right. If you're an NHL GM, you know that if you're picking at six and you're picking at 38, you're probably going to be able to get him to 38 because teams just, they're no, going to pass on you're right. That's yeah. a, that's kind of a, I just mean more in like you read yeah. into the meta of, of rankings at this point too, right? Because uh, like, like it, it's all it's also a difference between your actual rankings and who you pick, right? Like like so yeah, like one absolutely. exercise that, that I know that we that we both do is on draft day we make the picks that we would instead of the Habs, right? Yes, like, I've got three years of I, that. I still don't know exactly. how I feel about my team. I, mine's looking up. I, mine's looking okay but like you yeah. can't judge it until it's five years no exactly a it, bunch it, of these guys are gonna suck and then someone you passed exactly. on is randomly like that dude you i was i was this close to picking devin levy and that it's killing me i was I, I was like a hair away from picking him i can uh one up you on that i took anton johannesson as the one guy i had above sean farrell at the pick that we took Sean okay, Farrell I, with. I also I also had had Johannesson ahead of Farrell, but I picked both of them ahead of where Sean Farrell went. <laughs> so I both took, of those guys I don't are remember on my how team. that draft went out. I need to look at my 2020 again. But that one pissed me off because I was mad when I made the pick. I was like, I basically flipped a coin in my head and I was like, ah, Swedish guy, and then went with that. And then he decided to spend the next few years of his career hurt. So yeah, it's the that sucks. That really- yeah, Sean but, Farrell. The latter, what we're going of the Bergevin era, made some picks that we can. Well, I don't, even, I, I don't even want to get in. I don't even want to get into the to the. Well, it's okay because like all years of the Bergevin era made some yeah. questionable picks. Like the like one, Joshua like the, never should have turned out the way he did. Like that was, was a good pick. That, that was, yeah, like I at that point in the draft, I was that like, was a solid I, swing. To I don't remember who I took, but it was like I remember thinking like, yeah, Habs took Wa. I took this guy. I'm slightly more interested, but Wa's fine here. Like I think Wa would have been I, fine. I think, if, I, like, took, I, think I took. I think I took Lucas Gustafson with that pick. I personally. don't remember who I took. It was. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna check. You've got my curiosity it. going. But, but where is going uh, with bringing this up in the first place was was just by, by saying that like rankings and where you and, and who you pick don't necessarily like actually align. So yes, at, with the thirty third pick for the Habs in 2022, my top ranked player available was Lane Hudson. I did not pick Lane Hudson with that pick. I picked Jagger Furcus because I was banking on Hudson falling to 62, which he did, which was a risk. But that way, I got both of them, and uh, I'm very happy I did. So it, it, it turned out worthwhile. It was definitely worthwhile in the end. But yeah, like you have to in the end make your bets. But there's yeah, so it's, many players it's worth it. It, it. it is a coin flip, right? Like, like for me, it was also like, okay, I love Jagger Furcus. I love Lane Hudson. Who do I think falls here? Because that's my only like. I don't know how else to like make a decision here. So I'm just gonna <laughs> hope. And pray that Lane Hudson falls, and he did. I did the same thing. I was hoping, I was hoping to go right Lambert, Fergus, uh, Hudson, yeah, Ka- Hudson and Calio Delius around the same time, and then hopefully yeah. some team still hadn't watched Gleb, and I could snag him there. Gleb yeah. went to Carolina. Yeah, brilliant bastards. Carolina's skip, like, like the fact that, that they got Gleb, 
and Gradinen in that draft killed. The yeah. Habs drafted Jared Davidson ahead of Gradinen. Like that, that brings me pain. Well ahead of Gradinen. Yeah. Well ahead I, of Gradinen. Fun fact: I actually took with the sixty-four or sixtieth pick at the at the draft, Caliodelius until I realized I'm like, wait, I don't think Montreal picks as soon as I thought they did. So I deleted the tweet. <laughs> and took Hudson and then like five seconds later it was like the Habs take Hudson and I was like I was, didn't he, you know I, I had the same thing I had the exact same thing because I, I was live streaming the draft so the Habs are on the clock and I'm like oh Adelius Hudson Adelius Hudson I'll go Lane Hudson I write down look up and the first thing I see Habs like Lane Hudson on, on the on the draft I'm like it was, we also it, traded it was 65 at the draft that's the what it was. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That's why yes. I because I'm looking at this. I'm like, wait, there was a 15 pick difference. I feel like that's not what it was when I made this yep. decision because I swear like we, I was we had going like 95 and 98 at the draft. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sounds more. But that I, sounds I remember a lot for more Sebastian's familiar. live stream. It happened to be in Montreal that all of the Canadian phone providers just blacked out that day. Yep. So I had I had no service. I was on the Tim Hortons Bell Center Wi-Fi, and I came on the live stream, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" just celebrated. The house. Good day. It was. It was a very good day. I didn't even Uh, know about the pick when I was there. I was in the back somewhere, and I was talking. Oh my god! Like I made the pick, and when I was in the middle of a conversation, I was like, "Sorry, I have to do this." Like before the pick is made, and then I kind of went back to the conversation. And then I kind of just walked out and I was like, who'd the Habs take? And I saw Hudson. I swear it was a cartoon Looney Tunes, just jaw drop into yeah. the floor. Yeah, it was. So it was a I very literally was trying to run around, like try not run around giddy as hell that it happened. It was yeah. most satisfying draft pick I've ever heard. I'm pretty sure in my entire life. That Never and Cole Caulfield. And I'm so uh, actually Cole Caulfield. I legitimately jumped up and like arms in the air. I like wish I, I was into hockey when that happened. That was such a good day. That was such a good day. And I was day. so sad when we didn't get Quinn Hughes and, or Zadina in 2018. Except now, whenever I think of the Caulfield pick, I think of Cam York, who I traded one for one in fantasy with new number one defenseman Vince Dunn. Yeah, that, that it was really, it really It really burns. And you told me to do it, Sebastian. So I don't even remember that, but sure. Yeah, that was a while ago. Uh, anyways, uh, other players in the 2023 draft class that could be interesting topics. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the player that means have been talking about for like months on end, uh, David Reinbacher, uh, <laughs> who yeah, now who is now like very close in their rankings. Like I have him at 29 and he's at, he's at 34 on your board. Um, so after all that deliberation, he's basically in the same range in both of our drafts now. Uh, yeah. But he is being discussed as a top 15 guy by a lot of people. Yeah. Which I don't see. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why. There's a reason why he's being talked about in the top 15. He's, he's safe. the kind he's, of guy. He's a very safe. He's a, he's a very safe pick. Like, uh, and, and I know Sam's going to be a bit, like, you know, I don't think you're fully on board with the safety of the pick. No, I, I get the safety of the pick. He's okay. Austrian. He's Austrian, slightly less effective Caden Gooley. Like draft your Caden Gooley, like that's he kind have of the same. He, he, he without lacks. the killer instinct that Gooley has, that sends people like eighteen rows up every <laughs> time he breathes in their direction. Like, uh, but more so, just my, the, yeah, 
arc my, guys my out with... towards the boards and trying to hit them, but he's on bigger ice, so it doesn't work as well or look the same. Yeah, I think one issue I have with Reinbacher's game that was like an eyesore for me during the World Juniors is his handling skill. He has this like often this really awkward posture while handling the puck, but almost like like his arm up almost over his shoulder, uh, and it looks uncomfortable uh, and is incredibly ineffective. Uh, he can't do anything with it. He's he he locks himself in with his, with his top end top hand fully, and uh, it just like basically just juggles a puck in front of him on his way up the ice. Uh, he's far more effective as a passer in transition than a carrier, and even then under direct pressure, uh, he can kind of fumble the puck a bit. Uh, in the breakout, but yeah, it, I I just I don't see the upside to justify having him top twenty just yet. And I know some people are talking about him top fifteen, and I just I I I I don't see it. I think he's a number four defenseman if he turns out, and that's good. He's a good player. Um, but I I don't I don't see him in the same conversation with defensemen with other guys that are available in this class. Like like I think Axel signing Pelica has really like separate himself from the other defensemen available in the draft class. And Dmitry Simashev is Reinbacher with better tools as, as you told me already multiple times, Sam. Yeah. Uh, which I, I do very much agree with because yeah, he's, he's a better skater than Reinbacher. He has better handling skill. He's a more dynamic skater. Uh, he's just, a significantly better defender. And I don't mean this as a slight to Reinbacher, but more so, for sure. like, I'm not sure the last time I watched a defender like impress me that much with his stick in the defensive zone as Simashev does. And I'm just like, and he's not just a defensive stick. Like, he's got so much more to his game. But like, that's, yeah. that's like, oh boy, he's just. He's very good. He's so good. And I still haven't seen the best of what he has to offer yet, which is kind of nuts because there's a few people I've talked to who are just like, yeah, I've seen him do this and this. I'm like, you've seen him do what? Okay. Like, that's approaching top, like, eight terror. Like, if I start seeing Simashev busting out, like, Deceptive hook passes through the o, uh, through the ozone and like I, activating I've seen a few off the of those. point. And I've just... seen. I, I had one viewing where he was playing almost Denton Matejchuk style offensive hockey, and I had a blast. He uh, generated zero points, but by my eye test, his expected primary assists would have been at like one point five for that game. Like, uh, I love Denton. Denton. Oh yeah, so do I. Uh, Columbus just had a, themselves a first round. Yeah, I mean David Yerushek is uh, is having quite the plus one season. Nature. Yeah, but but yeah, like, like Simashev, like the first game I watched of Simashev, uh, everyone that, that I'd been talking to about him beforehand was like, oh yeah, he's he's so great defensively. Offensive game isn't the selling point, and that first game is the one where where he just blew me away offensively specifically, and I was like, who is this guy? How does he not? How does he have have one assist on the season? Yeah, no, Simashev's really NHL. Unlucky. Yeah, it, same with, with, with like Timur Mukhanov, right? I've, like they I've both, just about to say Mukhanov. I swear, in just like the hand, no player I've seen in the first round less than Timur Mukhanov. I'm pretty sure, but like every game I see him, I'm like, I think you should have at least five points in the three games I've seen. Like yeah. if we're talking, like if you had luck going your way, you'd have six for sure. You luck balances itself out, but like you had five. He made five plays in those three games where I'm like. That wasn't in what? Like I, I, he took on the entire other team at one point, just 
cut right through. It was kind of like the Bedard overtime winner at the World Juniors. The exact same style of moves where he just like kind of like bobbed in in and out, and then didn't score on his. And I was like, "What the? F- Holy!" I mean, like, yeah, I was like, putting off his viewings the, uh, all year. Like, Mukhanov to me is is like the Russian Gavin Brindley in a sense, like that ultra high pace yeah. lacks a really threatening shot, but flashes some very impressive playmaking ability. Uh, yes. And the speed is just off the, off the charts. Like, like, like his motor, like, like I think those of the players I've watched in this draft class, those are the two players with the best motors in the class. Like just unrelenting. Yeah. Is it like, I mean, are there any other contenders? Yeah. Was he, his motor's like an electric car with just like instant torque and a battery that never dies. Yeah. He is, he's on it all the time. Yeah. And, and, and Mukunov too. Like, like, like <laughs> Mukunov just like sprints his entire shifts and seemingly does not get tired, even in the games where he plays a lot of minutes. Yeah, uh, but a bit of a freak of nature like that. He, I, he is. He's fun. Yeah. I like him a lot. I do too. I'm growing more and more of a fan of his as I watch him. I just like, I'm still in small sample territory to the point where like, I feel uncomfortable having him at 18. Cause like there are guys I've seen more of behind him who I like just about as much, but it's a bit of like a, in the three games I've seen, he's been absurd and probably should be scoring much more. And I'm gonna do more to figure out what's up, but like if he's just having like the unluckiest season of all time, then that he moving up, like he's not a dude who uh, he's one of the hardest cases of a player not scoring I've ever seen. Like even Brad Lambert, you could figure out why, but like Mukanov is like consistent, like dangerous stuff is happening all the time. Nothing is going in. What is going on? Like I've mentioned before that. on my rankings, I have the numbers that update automatically, but it's a very faulty system. And I, <laughs> it, well, this happened for Simbashev, where I saw 15 games played, zero goals, zero assists, zero points. I'm like, oh, there must have been a mistake because I'd watched nope. two games of him thus far. Like at that point, I've now watched three, which that, that's, that's a pretty big sample for me. I don't have that kind of commitment, but like I, it, like I knew he didn't score in those two games, but like I watch his game, like he has to be at least half a point. And I went to go double yeah, check, like which actually to, consistently produces. Like uh, he creates so many chances, but to the credit, kind of, of like like Mukunov, no one automatically ranking stuff, double checking every single number to make sure it's right. But we takes longer than just putting it in auto, like manually. Yeah. But I I digress. It's cool when the uh, when the numbers move. Yeah, I got it. Makes sense. While this episode is definitely focusing on the 17-year-olds playing hockey, uh, let's focus on the sport where a 45-year-old just got thrown out of the playoffs. Football. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The NFL playoff action continues. We're one step closer to Super Bowl 57 and the NFL divisional round. Check out DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 free bets instantly. Plus, all new and exciting customers can take a shot in even bigger payouts with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your NFL winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. While 20% may be the average power play conversion percentage, it was also the conversion percentage of the Dallas Cowboys for the extra points in their games against the Bucks. I mean, I got to cheer for the 49ers because I love Brock Purdy. Okay, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL divisional round and get 200 free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right. So David Reinbacher, uh, who, as we were mentioning before, is a bit of a divisive prospect all of a sudden. Uh, he kind of was a bit unknown up until like late October, early November. Uh, was not getting talked about much at all and suddenly is potentially going to be the first defender off the board on draft day and is rocketing up basically every draft board. And uh, I know that that, that Sam, that we were talking, we've been talking about him for months at this point. And, uh, and we started off seeing very different things, but now he's basically at the same like spot in our respective rank rankings. Uh, so what, what do you see in Reinbacher and, uh, what are your reservations with having him above guys like Simashev? Um, it's the easiest way of putting this together. David Reinbacher will play in the NHL. David Reinbacher will be most likely a quality third pairing guy. Like one you're very happy to have on that pairing. Not one where you're just like, oh, whatever. And you can grab him off waivers. He's physical. He's got good timing defensively and the prettiest part of his game typically comes from breakout passes. They don't often come under pressure. Like I've seen him cough up a lot of pucks under pressure, especially on D zone retrievals. But if he manages to get through the first pass is often like the right first pass, not like just like a pass to be made, but like, it's a good one. Like he's even impressed some of the passes he's made where I'm just like, I didn't know you had that in him. The part with Reinbacher that I don't see so far is that all of his offensive, uh, his world junior tape is almost like a prototypical example of why I personally just don't view world junior tape too much unless it meets like certain circumstances. That sounds like it can be subject to bias and maybe it is, but Reinbacher played for Austria. They either only got destroyed or they only did well against bad teams. And there was like no middle ground on that kind of, they either got absolutely shellacked against Sweden and Canada, or they got their successful games against Latvia. And I believe it was Germany started like what teams played, what are starting to blend together in my head already, but he did really well in the game against Latvia. That was the one that really stood out to me. He was activating. He was doing everything that everybody is saying. Like these are parts of his game that he just can't show. He was doing all of it 
and more, and he looked really good. And from what I've seen, all of the track data coming out of that game was incredible. It's just it it's a it's Latvia. You kind of want to see that. That's like it's not that it's an amazing indicator that it's there. It's that it's one of those like oh, if it's not there kind of deals. He plays Swiss League, which is now that I've seen more of it, it's not a league I've watched too much in recent years. It's a better league than I thought. But it's still one of those, like, it's not an environment where you kind of get to see him develop these skills all too much. It's very likely that he comes over sooner than you'd expect. Most teams are going to bring him over as soon as he seems capable of playing like a third pairing role, which will probably be on like two years. He's quick. He's big. He can angle guys off. His defensive stick isn't bad. And he's got pretty solid timing on some plays. Most plays in the defensive zone. Beyond that, I don't really see all too much for him to be a top 20, top 15 guy. I can't like I can't do it over Luca Cagnoni, who is quicker much shiftier one of the like shifty is a used a word that's used a lot with like any lateral player like anyone who just moves laterally but Kegnoni actually is shifty and he's like super composed when he's facilitating breakouts i can't take him over gulyayev i can't it just becomes like it in the list just goes one by one of like the guys with the upside like caden price might not play in the nhl Reinbacher will. If you're looking for a body, you're not taking Caden Price. But I want to take Caden Price ahead of him because Caden Price's toolkit is absurd and boasts like real number two, number three upside. It is crazy what that guy can do. Reinbacher, not so much unless you see development come through with the skills. And at times, like he, there's times when he's in motion and it's like he has puck control where he can then do nice plays. But in the NHL, the biggest thing is like, how quick do you get that puck control? Because you have milliseconds before somebody is on you. Like it really is a game of millimeters and milliseconds. Like you don't have time. If you don't have complete control to make the pass you need to, as you're corralling the puck, you're, you've already lost the possession. You're going to get sent to the moon if you have to take a second to be like, where's the puck again? Someone is just going to yeet you into the wall or something like that. Eat hell, half the time it might even be dirty and no one's going to call it. Like, this is where the Reinbacher is just like, it's an identity thing. It's like you can theoretically develop him into a top four guy. It's risky, but it's possible. There might be guys who work development who'd be able to say it's not as risky as I think. And I'd revisit the conversation if that's the case. Just from what I know, it feels like it's a bit of a risk, mostly just because like I'm looking at other names in the area. This is just a loaded draft. Yeah. You can find 32 players who are skilled, drive play, do have something to offer that leads to real NHL upside with safety and not have to worry too much about like, well, do I want to just develop him for what he is now and definitely get a player out of him? Or do I want to like start changing core aspects of his game to try and create more? Unless you can like be like, I can fix every bit of the handling issue and make him a handling god. It's like, okay. But Which... then at that point, it's like, 
once you start making assumptions like that, it's like, okay, well, why Reinbacher? Why only him? Why not yeah. all of the other players in that range? It's like the set, Any once you team yeah. looking to take on that kind of challenge is going to take a different player. Yeah. Unless they have like a specific team member who is looking at Reinbacher and being like, no, I promise you, I can do this. And that happens. And that's how a lot of these exceptions where you're just like at the time of the draft, you're like, eh, and then they turn out to be pretty good. And they're like, well, they just didn't have that in their game before. It's like, well, that was probably some development staff guy knowing what he was getting himself into. But with this one, it's just like personally based on the other players available, based on what Reinbacher currently has as a player, based on like what you want from a top 15, top 20 player. I just, I don't know. William Whitelaw might not play in the NHL. William Whitelaw might be a first-line 30-goal, 50. Yeah. Like, he's insane. 30-35-goal score. Like, it's... The tools are easily top 10 in the class. Like, like without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Whitelaw's tools are incredible. There's uh, quite a few players. Like, that's where I'm looking at it. It's just like, they're, they're more... He, he's another guy, just like Perron, that's that's going to drop so far to the point where... Oh, yeah, White Law's going to be available late in the draft. But things, with him, I understand it a lot more than with Perron in terms of falling. Like, yes. William, William Whitelaw, at his There's worst, is incredibly, is incredibly inefficient, purely perimeter-based, and incredibly ind- individualistic. Like, that is... There is a lot there that needs to change. Uh, yeah. The physicality of the game is overwhelming him regularly in the ushl of all leagues which is concerning uh his decision making is uh inconsistent he just is inconsistent he will kind of just like tremendous skill but if you're talking like a, a fifth six round zone. Pick, he's just as risky as most of the guys there oh no I, like once you hit like the second round white lot like the th- risk yeah. reward yeah. threshold has been crossed but like same, same, I, same thing with, with hudson right like like, like yeah at some point players, it just becomes obviously, like all right like, man, what are you doing Exactly. Like at a certain point, it's such a long shot already. Go for the long shot that can for sure. And it's also like, like, what what would you rather take a home run swing on a guy that's that, that's either going to be a top six forward or non NHLer, or a swing or bunt on a guy who is likely going to be a fourth liner? Like at that point, why are you taking what? Why? What's the point? Yeah, it's of like that what draft do you just pick? want with a draft pick? You, you, like, do you, you take them like off it, waivers, right? Like at, if, at any yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was about to like say, a Michael McCarron was on on waivers today. Ely Tolvanen was on waivers a few weeks ago, which was yeah. Ely Tolvanen is a fourth line winger, but no, exactly. But, but like, like you have options to fill out your bottom six and your your bottom pairing in free agency in uh, on waivers, right? Consistently. So I what, what I don't understand is is teams drafting players who are so clearly limited to those types of projections with high draft picks. Like, sure, if you're picking them in like the later rounds. And you want to get those types of players on on e- ELCs and have them controlled uh, under team control for what nine years? Fine, yeah, fine. Like, sure, go for it. Like, late late rounds is a free for all. Like at that point, like Tyler Boucher you want. was just yeah that 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 was a like uh, I'll always yeah. go back to that one, but it wasn't. It's not the only one of its kind. Like no, 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 exactly. Like like it, it might have been the like, most extreme draft. Yeah, we, we we see it in every draft where where players are picked when they really shouldn't be. Right, I like, can't really think of one in twenty one, like Nolan not, Allen. Not by, Nolan Al- yeah, Nolan Allen at thirty one. Yeah. Oh, not twenty one. Twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty two. Oh, 20, like, I mean, 
Artyom Duda was the one I was talking about earlier. Well, once um, you're out of the first, it's like... Yeah, sure. Okay, but even, even like, inside the Korchinski first went, Korchinski went a lot higher than I thought, yeah, but he but, looks good. But that, that was a swing, right? Like, with Korchinski, yeah. you're swinging on something tangible. Like, I I was not high on Korchinski, get, right? Like, but Gautier you are swinging on upside. Go to at five oh, yeah. is... Yeah, sure. Like, like on upside, yeah. I, I it, It's not the biggest of swings. Um... But there, there definitely were names that that were kind of bunts in in the draft that I remember that I can't remember. I for mean, some uh, did, did Lamoureux um, go in the first round? Yep, Lamoureux went twenty nine. Yeah, okay. um, Reed oh, Schaefer yeah, thirty two. Reed hey, Schaefer was, that was gonna for happen. Edmonton. Um, he went at twenty five. Nathan did. Gaucher at twenty two. I yeah. mean that that that's just ultra safe. Like I I understand that more than Lamaroon Schaefer, but still, uh, teams will just know? like defer to. There it, it's from what I get from the way the NHL does it. It's less about like knowing. A lot of the guys we identify as upside picks are teams know won't work with their system. Their guy, oh, for like, sure. like it doesn't matter. I it, to some extent I. I guess I can't say for sure. It doesn't matter, but I've always wanted, like if I'm sitting there and I'm a general manager and I like a player, my head scout is pretty interested in him, but he's got other guys. And then I talk the development stuff. I'm like, what do you think about this? And the development guy who I know is going to be working with him is like, Nope. Even if another team has a guy who's like, absolutely. You don't have that guy working for you. You have this guy. You're not going to change your development staff over one player. That's extremely inefficient and likely to harm you more than anything else. You're just going to be like, oh, shit. All right, next on the list. Sometimes guys like Gaucher as well. Like, I can, we've, oh, for I, sure. I like, agree with you guys where I was like, I saw sense. him as like a, yeah, it made sense. It's like a big bot. He plays big. He's a, like, you can see him on a third line and like, he, he's, he's a guys around. He's a guaranteed yeah. bottom six forward. Like, like, like he's I going like, to make a, the NHL. He, like, he will. There's a difference between a fourth line center and a really good third line center. Oh, the massive difference. Huge. Yeah, like, like, you're, like you're not going to see six a guy players like Gaucher aren't on waivers. Bad. Like that's no, exactly. the, Yeah. I, I people hear bottom six and first round and immediately that's why I guess I say middle six instead of bottom six where it's like Yeah. Ideally if you were like winning a Stanley Cup level good, you want them on the third line. But you can still completely be fine with them on your second as long as they're not the main guy. So yeah. I guess for centers, it's a little less lenient because you need two amazing wingers to really play and make up for the fact that center is a more valuable position. But like with wingers, especially on the third line, it's just like you throw them on the second line. Just throw them up there. They're fine. Someone gets hurt and they move up. Do they look that out of place? No, it's fine. Like they're move. Most of these guys are going to end up playing top six at some point in their career. Maybe if they don't stick, but I get why teams go for them more and more every year as more and more of the creative ideas I had when like watching players and viewing them and seeing them and being like, no, I'd take this risk in the first. And then I look back, I'm like, and I would have been wrong. Interesting. Hmm. And it's just lesson learned, lesson learned, lesson learned. And then I get it. I still don't, but I still like, obviously I cater more to this style of thinking with where we go back to like, it's still a draft pick. I'm going for upside. Like I'm not trying to, yeah, you can because you know the bottom six guys are going to come on waivers. Like I made a tweet about it's how 
you could have had like an insane bottom pairing of uh, whatever his name is and Kovacevic, whoever Arizona got. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, problem with Malamaki. that is you Ma- can't Ma- build your Mackey. Kovacevic. And then... And then a fourth line of Tolvanen, Phillips, and someone at center, I guess. Yeah, that Cost- was just true. Costin's but you can't good. rely... A, if you use a waiver, you're now at the back of the order. B, yeah. the biggest problem with it is that you just can't look at waivers and be like, eventually someone will come and fill that gigantic hole I left on the fourth line. Like you have to be proactive when making moves because if you don't, the NHL, like NHL GMs know how to play off of each other really well. That's like an underrated part that doesn't even get like a captured in fantasy properly is like how well, these guys understand the market, even the ones who we look at as bad, mostly, even if let's actually, let's just make the assumption that they're bad and they're, they, they probably aren't, but like, let's just do it. There's other people in that front office with massive influence who aren't. Yeah. Like everybody kind of like gets how it works. So if you leave a gigantic hole on the fourth line, you're waiting for a waiver to come and fix that. Someone, if they want them slightly more than you, will throw the fifth round pick there and they'll just like be anticipating your move the whole time and just will make the deal ahead of time. There's all these little factors that never show up or in trade talks and trade rumors and things like this. That I just can't believe that Eli Tolvin couldn't get a fourth or a fifth. Like, yeah, sometimes, sometimes a decision like this gets made and you're just like, holy shit. And like, sometimes once you're just like, wow, it's just like, because you can't tell when it's going to happen, you can't rely on it. No GM is going to use it. And then most of the time when they go on waivers, everyone's like, do we have like everything we need to make this work? And most teams are going to be like, no, why is he being waived? And like, I mean, what is happening over like, in that office? Oh no, we don't have $1.4 million of cap space. Move on. So it's yeah. partly that it's the roster spot who gets sent down. It's like, does this mess up? Even if the issues are go, can be traced back to like, well, it was Eli Tolvin, it was worth the risk. I mean, like before Tolvin went to Seattle, I was sitting there like he, he was legitimately one of the ex- textbook examples I had of like being wrong in the first round. And now suddenly he's just like playing like that player that I thought I was. So like, I don't, I don't know. But like, I don't know if I would have like moved heaven and earth to get Tolvin. And if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, I would have been like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shit. It, it's that it's sucks. more for a team, a, a team like 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 the Buffalo Sabers, for instance, who have yes fourteen million dollars in cap space, and those are the teams offense. that can be like and they're, and they're pushing like for the, the playoffs, right? Like like a team like like Buffalo had no reason not to claim Tolvanen, and and it's more for those cases, right? It's not like our, if a team it has literally zero dollars in cap space. That's I not think the, the Seattle Kraken are going to win the Stanley Cup. Like that's that's, that's my odd, take of the night. That is odd. I think the hot. Seattle Kraken are going to win the Stanley Cup because it's been a nice hot run. I don't know. I don't it's know gonna be Boston. Up. It's gonna make Here's me the depressed. Deal. Yeah, Boston. Boston. Oh no, no. Bo- be... Boston's definitely gonna be. Boston's gonna find a way to get Horvat. So oh, that God. that's out there now. But Seattle, they have like three second round picks that are worth a ton in this year's draft. That's true. And they have at the deadline, they're gonna have like ten point eight million dollars of accrued cap space. That's so much cap space. Yeah, but I don't know if that's enough. The playoffs are brutal. Yeah, regular season. Their their goal differential has been fantastic. 
and their competition in the West isn't going to be as bad as Bruins' competition in the East. I don't yeah. disagree with any of this, but like, and if they, and if they were the meeting in the final, if they were meeting in the final, though, like it's a toss-up. Like, I mean, look, no, look at how Seattle played that last game. Look at, it was look one at game. Against, yeah, it was one game. What, but we're talking, talking about singular... seven here. Nah, how, 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 how did the Habs play a couple games ago? Oh, they had a one good game. Oh, oh, oh playoff contenders. It's, no, like, playoff hockey is a seven like... Game road trip. Yes, playoff it, hockey it's a, is just... A hot they have that dog in them. You can't New tell New Jersey that had a 13-game win streak earlier this season, right? Like, like teams go hot. It happens. Uh, Boston's just... Linus Almark is like 24, 24 one. one and two. What? Oh, even better. Yeah, one and two. Wait, like, I don't know. Uh, my I, actual. I, I would put money on on Seattle. You, you want to know what my take is for the cup? What? It's going to be the Leafs. No, no, yeah. no. We're not making it the first. No, do- uh, Look, I, no. I had it's pleasure going to be Toronto the day they lost in the playoffs last year. And I've never once said anything, but that had Toronto's losing in the first again up until the day they lost last year. And I'm like, that's it. They are, they were legitimately the better team. They probably should have won that playoff series. That's the type of like mental break that you need to do it the next year. And when they, when they win the momentum ride, they're going to get will trounce everything in the path. So long as they get the goaltending, I have no fucking clue if they're getting the goaltending. I don't trust. All, the, all it, depends if, like, if Sepsono stays, stays stays healthy. Like Matt Murray is is a lottery. Like you, you don't know what you're getting with him in the playoffs. Yeah, if, assuming the two games I watched like in Tampa Bay was the greatest live hockey I have ever seen. That team knows itself so well. They're built for the playoffs. That team they is tired. Like, that team isn't tired. That team is Stamp- tired. Stamkos has another like 15 years in him. He can play until he's 47. I don't care. That, I mean, that, that team... team is good enough to like overcome this, but like that team has been through some shit the last three years. They have gone yeah. through three cup runs, final runs. Any team that's ever got like, I who was it? Was it the Warriors? I think it was the Warriors. Draymond Green was talking about it. The finals runs just exhausted them and they basically in the Tampa can do it as well they basically just kept relying on each other to keep boosting momentum because if like somebody fell then the whole domino the whole stretch of dominoes is going to everybody like your body doesn't get a chance to recover as well but it's not even so much that you don't get an off season when you do three yeah. straight cup final runs you get like once a cup end versus preseason so it's like two months maybe your yeah. body is a you were broken those two months. Even if you do go out and you're posting Instagram pictures of them on vacation and stuff like that, they're probably limping around. They've got broken bones, torn muscles. They're everything hurts. Best case scenarios. Some guy Zach comes out. Bogosian, Zach Bogosian on the first pairing playing amazing. You replace Ryan McDonough with Nick Perbix and you become a better team. Like they're something they about wagon. They're a better Are they team. better team? Nick, Nick Perbix played two straight like number one D games. He played like 19 minutes a game and he was just he was perfect. 19 minutes I a love, game isn't isn't number one D minutes. But that's, 19 that's, minutes that's a game in a game, in a game that had like seven power plays. So 
Yeah, I, I mean, look, like, like but he was perfect. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the reads. biggest. Look, look, Perbix, I feel is like the Jan Ruda replacement of just like your plug and play second pairing guy that gets the job done. He's not the Ryan Brad, McDonough replacement. Brandon Hagel is insane. He, he, which he better be with the price they paid to get Hagel. Like, he hey, is they, looking exceptional right now. He is looking I don't know. very. Uh, Tampa obviously, like, Tampa goes far. No, no, no one is surprised. It's just at some point, with every year that goes by, the odds that it catches up to them is just larger yeah. and yeah. larger and larger. Chicago was a wagon until St. Louis, and that was in the first round. And then Chicago never caught up again. Tampa's but set I, up to be like fine where Chicago wasn't, and you know they're not going to trade their Panarin. But like, it's. I think the Leafs are a worse team right now than they were at this time last year. I think with Toronto, it's not even about the quality of the team itself at this point. It never Toronto has been. been yeah, Toronto Which, is this exists outside of every other North American sports team right now, and what the hell is going on in the playoffs? They're on some like historic generation should be studied for psychology shit right now like that this is incredible and they actually kind of got the monkey off the back last year and just lost to a team that was so good to go three times in a row it's like there's motivation thus to prove it and more of just anger and sometimes that can work especially with hockey players guys are pretty good at channeling being pissed off into efficiency and they have all of the talent to win like marginal differences aside that core is that core yeah goalie play goalie play and goalie stop puck toronto shoot good toronto win and it doesn't seem that crazy every ounce of this i hate from my core i actually hate oh, the no, idea sure. of toronto winning i live in the heart of this nation <laughs> like leafs nation will i will never hear the end of it and it's fine i've made my peace with it but like they need to play morgan riley as little as humanly possible if they want to win that series maybe they just need to play morgan riley in specific situations with certain yeah, power people. play but like riley is riley's still a good like 5v5 player like he can put morgan riley out there with matthews and marner and stuff it just it's like defensive mistakes happen and they'll go on the highlight reel but like it's a possession game and you're getting more with riley possessing the puck and then getting it to their top six and the top six just being like oh by the way fantastic yeah see like toronto's just got adaptable options on defense to play around with they'll be fine I think. And if they don't, I then think, we get more memes. Like, Ryan it's a lose. I think. It's a losing situation if you're Toronto at this point, or I guess it's like a winning one. I don't know. Toronto is just un- undeni- undefinable. They're undefinable. I don't know. But that's why, for once, I'm sitting there. I'm like, shit, you guys might do it. Yeah. Feels different. Know. And, and the defense is finally actually coming together now with, with Sandin and Lundgren actually developing into yeah. very good NHL players. Like it's, yeah, which it was always going to be the case. Were, yeah, Leaf fans were dragging them staying in the minors and not coming up and not getting them. And it's just like, I don't know. Toronto took their time with them and it's paid off. It's paid off. So, like, you can't. Taking your time with players seems to be working with every take player your time with like yeah like you take your time with players like 99 percent of the time you almost never nhl is too good to rush players 
Like, yeah, nobody in this draft should be playing except for Bedard next year. But like multiple can probably. Yeah, no one, I don't. Carl Carlson, no uh, Carlson over Fantilli in terms of NHL readiness. I think both are. I think I agree with that. I think both could do it. Both could do it. Both would be fine. Both wouldn't have the development harmed. I, I, I think I'm just getting to the point where it's like, shit. If you don't play in the NHL, just go away for a year and just come back with like a monstrous killer instinct out of perfecting everything for a I year. See, with a guy like Carlson, I wonder how much development is left because he's like. There's a lot of development left. There's a lot. It's the mental. It's habits. mental. It's problem solving too. Like there's just yeah. level, like there's adaptive levels to skill. this stuff. Adaptive skill. He's he's a, he's a grown up, and I'm saying that as a guy. Who's yeah. Like okay. Sure. Phys- phys- physical development. Sure, he might he might not get bigger, but that doesn't mean that he can't develop mentally and how he Except crosses he the plays, game and what he does. Like I, I'm not concerned like, with him at I, all I in terms know. of development strategy. Like, I, like there's a reason he has a long runway still. He has a long runway. Like I, Carlson has. Leo Carlson is everything Habs fans want Slavkovsky to be. That's what everything they've yes. talked about all summer is what Leo Carlson is. Except Carlson doesn't True. have the physical dominance that Slavkovsky has in but he can all play of the room. Yeah, he does. He can. Carlson has all of the room to add that to his game still. Like yeah. he, he almost strong, put Carlson in two. But like Leo is still years away from being at his peak in terms of physical performance anyways. Not to mention like all the tools are going to get refined a little bit, the mental processing can get better. But like he already is a ridiculous open ice attacker like carlson could be six feet and we wouldn't have no one would have any issues with them he'd work as the same player most of the time at world junior he showed us he was able to be the physical guy a lot more there but in the shl you know he's more of an open space guy either way it's like five years from now he's gonna be a monster of a power forward and he's gonna have every bit of this open ice skill and play driving ability and when that all comes together it's terrifying. It's just ridiculous that Adam Fantilli has the same argument and is even more terrifying. Like it, yes. that's just like, like I love Crystal to death. I keep saying Crystal's the first player like I've watched in three or four years. Where the thought of, I don't think you're gonna do it, and I wouldn't bet on it. But if you turn out to be a hundred point player at some point in your career, I absolutely agree. I wouldn't be surprised prize like and i've yeah. ne- i've realized like i don't think that's ever been a thought that didn't sound absurd about any play in the last few drafts and it feels absurd for everyone in this draft including crystal but if i'm making that bet it's gonna be him i think like he's kind of insane but he's n- not that like that tiny chance of happening is n- probably not worth passing over carlson who could be like a 70 point two-way monster I have Tristel dominates 5v5 with Carlson, Benson, and Mitchkov because I I don't know like I just kind of have a feeling that he's going to put up like 90 points one year like Zach Benson is a guy that that I think we could also talk about is just like I I don't know if there's a single player in this draft class like I I don't know if there's a single player in this draft class that 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 plays the game of hockey better 
than Zach Benson. And I'm not saying is the best player in the draft class. I'm just saying I get what you every mean. fundamental in hockey, he aces. He, like, is the... every, everything I look for as a scout, every box I try to tick, everything I want players to be refined in, he does exceptionally well. And that's why I had him ranked third overall. But again, it's a coin flip with Carlson like and a coin he, flip with Bishkov and a coin flip with with Crystal. Like I that that tier to me, you put in the blender and it works just fine. I just ended up putting Benson at three just because I think that you have a slam dunk top six center with him. Which, like I said, D minus one, he was the best player on a team with two top twelve picks. Yes, he was. He was like, better than, than, than than Savoy last year. He was absolutely. And I mean, I, you guys know how I feel about Savoy, but yeah, no. regardless. He's everything you guys said, and probably more. The yeah. one teeny thing about Benson is there is a there is a legitimate question of tools, and when you have him relative to these names, like the, it the is skating, like, the, the skating and explosiveness is my main concern there. Like, I actually the, that's the one I'm not concerned with. Like the actual explosiveness of his movements, like he, I don't know. Whenever he tries to like, kind of like like explosively get around defenders he fails miserably at it but because he thinks the game is such a high level he doesn't need to have that skill yeah it's just... i also like i look at benson i don't see a reason why he can't be a bit faster like he's one of those players where it's like you look at him and it's just like is there anything inherently wrong with your skating sweet can you get stronger yes all right so your skating's gonna get better that's just like that's kind of yeah. like how developing and, and it has it, it has, it in has the last, like like the last calendar year and then yeah. as well as like progress through this year it's like Benson skating has gotten better like believe he was just like a random pick in the WHL he wasn't that high and he showed up and everyone was like wait what this kid can do it at this level too because the whole thing with him was like oh he doesn't have the tools for the dub I heard this from Joel Henderson who is like about as reliable a WHL source as you can yeah yeah he's like. I might be misquoting it, but it was he showed up in the dub and everyone who watched the dub draft basically was like, yeah, he's a genius. He's just going to struggle because he doesn't have the tools. And then he showed up and they were like, oh, wait, he's smarter than everyone in this league too. Shit. Okay. Uh, I guess that works. So then he now he's on his current path. This time it's like, well, you're going to the NHL. Your tools aren't like the tools to be a first line player aren't there and at some point mental ability can only take you so far whether it's fair or not you can get away with some blatant calls in the nhl and like players like benson are the type of guys who struggle with that and it's something you kind of you should account for even if like you don't but like yeah all it takes is a little bit of speed which he's like guaranteed to get and the right line mates. That's the other thing. He's got to play with the right people. Not yeah. that Benson can't be effective in any line, but if you're drafting Benson at like top five, which I want to do because I have him top five, I want him. I'm like, I want peak skill, Zach Benson and peak skill. Zach Benson wants to play with Suzuki and Caulfield and play yes. like combinations like that out there. And he is going to be disgusting disgusting when he does it and could at times be the line driver by just being the 
5v5 macro controller. He's like, he's not manipulating guys one-on-one to the same extent, but he's like the one manipulating offensive and defensive structures as a whole, just by like where he is and his timing with his movements, decisions he makes, how he attacks defenders, the tiniest gaps he can open just through off puck movement and just through like second efforts on the four check with defensive sticks and stuff like that. And the offensive and stick lifts just it's everything like you can just list every single thing and he has it all and he can do it all he single-handedly made multiple players at the holinka get a lot of hype coming into the season that is not looking pretty warranted at this point i think and it's you go back and you watch that tape and the first thing you're thinking is like well, there it is, right there. It's Zach Benson's show. He's a he was a god amongst men at that tournament. There was no player like him or even remotely close to him. He stood alone above everybody. And it's pretty much been that trend going forward. Crystal has just managed to just be equally as ridiculous in the WHL. All right. Two of my personal favorite players that are going to be available in the second round uh, are one I've been raving about all season long, and that's Luca Pinelli, uh, who I have uh, ranked. Uh, like, Sam, you were saying that you have no guys that, that you're like absurdly high on relative to consensus. Pinelli is that guy for me. I, I have him ranked 15th overall. I haven't seen He's anyone else. He's very good. He was and, almost like that for Scout on one of his streams. I don't think and he's then he, that he, high. He, right dropped, he, he dropped to like, like, I think late first round, which is more what I'd expect for most people to have him ranked. And the other player I like a lot is very different, uh, but Oscar Fisker Molgard, who yeah. is like a mini Lekkonen, and I love him. He's great. I saw your tweet about that earlier. I thought that I don't, I almost always look at a player comparable and I'm like, eh, sure. But that one I was like, I, I typically don't, don't shit. make comparables because I yeah, don't like I, them. I see because that. Because every player is like unique. But Molgard, again, not Draculekinen. Draculekinen was this offensive force and was not a defense first player. But Oscar Fisker Molgard has that same intensity and the defensive habits and 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 structure they loves to play and works wonderfully. Uh, the forecheck is suffocating. He's doing this in the SHL. He's putting up good five on five points in the SHL for draft eligible. Uh, he's really quick. He has a good shot and he knows how to get in position to use it. He's a decent playmaker. Like he has, he's so well-rounded and he plays this super high tempo game against men. And again, whenever I've watched him, I would just think like, Oh, that brings me joy. I wonder why. And then I think back and I'm like, that's kind of like Lekanen. And yeah, he's, he's very fun. Yeah. He's uh Pretty much agree with everything you said. He's one of the, it was him and Mukhanov are the last two players that I've like added to this section of the list. Cause I started me too. With like, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I started with like 45 guys this year and then I just kind of focused on them instead of consistently branching out for once. And I gotta say OFM is really, really smart. He's like the ultimate player to have as a late first round pick. He's going to play. He's going to yes. be really impactful in a lot of ways. He's the type of guy who, when someone pulls out a J fresh card, like it's a Yu-Gi-Oh card to win a duel, Oh, it's going to be blue. It's yeah. going to light up blue. Shiny. Like he's the analytical darling. He's not your play driver. He's not 
you're not drafting him for that type of stuff. He's not the upside guy, but he's the, I'm still a really good player anyways. And it's like, it sounds like the less appealing pick, but in a lot of ways, it's like almost the more appealing pick for in yeah. a way. Like OFM is the line escalator, escalator, elevator, <laughs> escalator. <laughs> he's the slowly moving stairs. Um, he is the guy who you put on a third line, second line, First line if the fit is right, but like you don't, you're not hoping for that. If you if you strike gold like like Lekkonen in in Colorado, that's with, a, that's a hundred. I was yeah. just about to say like Lekkonen with McKinnon and McCarr works, or McCarr? McKinnon and Rantanen. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> McCarr could be a forward and he'd be just fine. Like yeah, he would do fine. But it, Lekkonen with McKinnon trophy. and Rantanen like makes sense because those two guys Powerful, are so skilled. Skilled, you, yeah, and you want. OFM with those type of guys if he's not playing on the first. I think he's going to be a pretty strong second line guy if I'm to make the guess. Like a second line guy that you put in with better second line players. But he's also going to, it's this weird paradoxical same where it's like you want him on the second line even though he's not a second line player because you want him yeah, playing with guys who are better, better second anyways. line players. But they're going further. to be better because of him but He's still not the main guy on the line. Is this weird? Because he is up and down. He would be a line elevator, like like you were saying, right? Like like you put him in there as like a performance boost for the other guys, which then allows his own players to play their best game. Yes, I think that's that's summary right there. I think that's pretty. There are like some concerns like you can have the conversation about like oh what is this part of his game going to work is the two are the tools projectable enough is he going to be able to make dangerous passes and things like this like you can go down that thought path but it's like it it circles back to like what are you drafting him for because that that's not what i would be drafting ofm for like i'm drafting him and making him the jack of all trades swiss army knife like yeah can do everything and anything you need from him and your coach will absolutely love you for drafting him when he's in the lineup four or five years later. And he's just awesome. He's going to have like a big role in the world juniors in a couple of years. He's going to look awesome at the tournament. People are going to start recognizing him and it's going to have like a Lekkonen kind of rise from it. Hopefully. I mean, he's definitely smart enough for it. And that the, yeah. the intelligence and the ability to read the game and play a support role at this age is rare. Like to this extent, it's rare. It's mature in a way that you don't often see. You're often looking for players with like who have maturity in their game, and you're hoping yeah. to like can continue on that trend. Whereas he's like, I play pro hockey right now. I don't need to change it. I just need to like tighten it up and get a little bit better with my tools. And hopefully everyone I play with just kind of feeds off that type of play style and everything kind of clicks yeah. and connects like line. And that, like, that complementary skill is also something that can be developed for another eight yep. years. Yeah. It sure. just keeps getting better. Yeah. It's little details that get added each year, especially when you're playing at the highest level. Yeah. And, and then going, going back to, 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 to my, my personal adopted son in the draft class, uh, Luca Pinelli, uh, I, I I don't think the listeners need me to talk about him because I have at length uh, many times already. Uh, but in summary, I have him ranked 15th overall because I love the way his brain ticks. And I think he has some really dynamic offensive abilities. 
Uh, there are very few players in this draft class that are more versatile in their transition game, their offensive tra transition game than Pinelli is, and few that are as good as he is at getting pucks from the board to the middle. I I, I love that you can build like a, a, a foundation around those tools, those, those habits, and uh, and yeah, like, like he has a great shot. He's a better playmaker. Uh, I, I I like his defensive involvement. Um, overall, I'm just very very frustrated that even with a, a lack of centers right now uh for the for ottawa uh with 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 benny Rohrer out with injury and there was a game i went to where even um logan morrison was out with injury they still refuse to play him at center uh which is yep. confounding to me because he played center last year and was amazing doing it and this year has not gotten a single second of time at center and his game is made to play down the middle. And I, I, I will die on that hill. I think he is a center. Uh, I, I think he's a very good winger, but I think he'd be better down the middle. But yeah. uh, what, what, what's your take on, on Pinelli? Really similar. Um, my thing with Pinelli is that I have had a couple of games where just like I don't see it ticking as well. Like you can. No, that's not right. You see the brain he ticking needs, the same he needs way. The right, he needs the right line. Like Pinelli yes. was. With 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 Rohr and Boucher beginning of the season was absolutely absurd. Boucher was doing all of the physical dirty work, and he was actually doing that very very effectively, just like we saw him do at the World Juniors. Like like this year, Tyler Boucher has been playing some very very good OHL hockey, despite the production not being like overly glamorous. Yep. And Vinny Rohr has come so far in the last like, like over the summer, like like his development over the summer has been insane. Yes, uh, so much more dynamic, uh, way better use of his physicality. Uh, really improved every single tool in this toolkit. And Absolutely. that top line just ticks tremendously well. Uh, one thing I'd love to see them try out it would be, I mean, obviously not now with, with Roar out, but I, I would have liked to see Stonehouse on the top line with, with them just to, to kind of substitute Boucher's physicality and the forechecking. I love Brady Stonehouse intensity. so much. I, I am captaining the, the Brady Stonehouse, the Brady Stonehouse, Stonehouse hype, hype train. my favorite player to watch on the Interesting. Yes, it's, like, it's, it's, it's the best sibling duo. That, it's an amazing sibling duo. But yeah, that, that top line works tremendously well. Uh, and what, one of the reasons I like I, I really question myself with, with having Pinelli as high as I did is that because he needs that, not, not, not needs, but in order to optimize what Pinelli is, you need him on that line of complementary players rather than just plug and play. He can be effective while plugging him into any line, but in order to optimize his skill set, you you need that he cannot be the primary driver he cannot be the 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 primary four checker despite both those things being strength in his game he works best when he hit, when he's kind of the trailer on the line and he can see the entire play develop in front of him but yeah i, I i'm a very very big fan of his game i am a big fan of Pinelli. um he's one i think will go higher and not lower because he's 24. 24 i need to change that font that font is ugly uh he is 24 i am a big fan of him for just about every reason you said uh i take back what i said earlier his brain is always ticking in the same direction you can always see him trying to set up the same place i am in the middle of figuring out a problem with pinelli which is kind of like where i am and why he's a little at 24 right now he could maybe go a little lower if it goes the other way but he's i think it's going to end up being in his favor and he goes higher I can't discern yet be if Pinelli is 
struggling in some games because he's not good at creating the conditions he wants out there. Not that he's not good, but he's not consistently creating the conditions he wants out there. And the games he's doing really well in is those, like the line as a whole are creating the conditions for him and he thrives. Like it kind of goes off what you said. Like when he's with the right players on the right line, it's he snaps. It's incredible. And he's like play driving. And it's not necessarily a punishment because you hope that Pinelli would be like Pinelli's playing with high pace, smart players in the NHL that will consistently be able to make these plays for him. I do think if Pinelli gets kind of taken out of that rhythm a little bit and he has to go out of his way to kind of do a little bit more for himself, he doesn't look as good. How much of a problem that is, I don't know yet. I don't. I'm starting to lean more back towards it's not that big a problem for what I just said about like other teammates in the NHL are just going like he's in the NHL. They're all smart. They all play with pace. Yeah. That's not really a problem. The other thing, it the question that does concern me a bit more is like, he's not likely to be the primary guy in the NHL. No. How is he in a supporting role with other players? But it's not so much something you can really discern from like where he is this year because he's not going to be in that environment. And it's yeah. one of those like again, you can go back to like you can start really question you start making questions like that and focus them on Pinelli and you're not doing it with other players and you're biasly going against them. So like uh, th- this is where I'm at with Pinelli. It's this weird like question limbo. and answer limbo phase where I'm like, I giving him the benefit of the doubt, even if the ranking doesn't show it and I'm expecting him to move up, but I'm not all there yet. And yeah. some of the questions I'm asking, I might not get clear answers for. So I have to like, because I can't get the clear answers where I'm still in this figuring out stage. Yeah. I don't know. He's super interesting. I could be completely down to revisit this conversation towards years end when like these reads are, pretty clear and like kind of just done for the year he's one of the few where i'm still like i don't know i think he's definitely the one thing i know is he's definitely capable of being an nhl player which i mean like of course he's a first round pick like you better think that but like he's not some crazy long shot and like some rankings have him pretty low yeah like I know Brock Ottenrand is OHL pool, and he said that was that was surprising people. to me. Yeah, that two or three surprising. people had Pinelli one, and multiple or two or three had him like out of the top ten. And it's like, yeah, that variance does feel a little extreme to me because I don't think like unless the uh, the bulk of the argument is five nine, small size scale threshold, he down here, no, then. Okay, but even then, it's like I'd still like, rather he, take he, the he chance. Plays, he plays a really tenacious and engaged physical game, and he loses. And he uses his his low center of gravity to win a lot of puck battles. Like he's very, very sturdy. Just never gets like like bodied off the puck. I like my my, my biggest, I guess, question mark with Pinelli is purely how he's been used this season, and it's yeah. it's frustrating to me uh, because. He's he's been benched multiple times for making for taking like one not great penalty and been benched for entire periods of play, which has never been the same case for any other player on the team. Uh at, at least players in, in like the top six or top four. And it's been really confounding of just like why why are you using 
why are you treating one of your most skilled players like this? Also now with the, like when, when Logan Morrison was, was acquired, even, even with uh, Vincent's roar out with injury, Pinelli was not in the first power play unit. They put Brad Gardner in there instead. And there's yeah. so many decisions here where it's like, okay, clearly the coach is not optimizing the situations with Pinelli, despite Pinelli playing over 18 minutes the entire season, basically per game. Uh, the actual situational use of him, because I've, I've watched more. I've watched so many more games of Pinelli than any other player in this draft class. Like I've I've been to thirty plus live viewings of Pinelli over the last year and a half. Which again, I'm not comparing to like video viewings because I I, I value video viewing way more in terms of actually deciphering how a player ticks and how they play. Oh, but I get it. There's value in both. Like there's there there it, there for sure is. It's and, good when a player is good at both. Exactly. Yeah, and and the live viewings of the thirty I've had, including last season, and there, there, there's a very very clear improvement over the off season, like like really clear. But in every single viewing, I'm just like, I love the way he plays the game. I love the way he thinks the game. I love the decisions he makes. I love the processing speed he has. And then this season, it's just the 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 usage is just so weird. There's there were, even when he was playing on the top line, that was dominant. It was by far the best line in the entire OHL when it was together. Uh, there were shifts where the coach would just bench Pinelli for one or two shifts for no, for, for no apparent reason. And, and it's just uh, like, these, these are the times where I'd love to have more of an inside scoop. Yeah. Uh, I was just wondering that. I, 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 I have, I have a few inside scoops of how the, the, the room is in Ottawa. Uh, and yeah, I'm not going to speak on that, uh, but it, it is it is telling a bit of like why this might be happening. Uh, but it wasn't actually about Pinelli specifically; it was more just how the room is run as a whole. Uh, but yeah, I, that that's my biggest question mark because I feel like if, if Pinelli were in an optimized position, he would be the clear best player in this OHL draft class. Um, I think. But, he, yeah. I, I think like, I already have him as the clear top OHL prospect, but I I know I'm 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 almost on an island with that with that take. I get where you're coming from. I do think there's one concern people have with Pinelli, and I do have this is one I meant to bring up sooner, especially because it, it kind of does go along with one of the things you said as a strength. Like he is one of there's two things that you said that are both entirely true and could very well work out for him, and could also be the reason it doesn't work at the same time which is why is a little scary. One is he is surprisingly good at physical play for a five, nine guy at his yeah. size Two, He's really good at bringing pucks in from the middle, from the boards. That is a very good combination, but he's also five, nine and he's yes. also small yeah. and NHL guys are huge. And you need like, Gavin Brindley's puck protection mechanics and the way he handles it. Yeah. Like it's puck protection, which like that puck protection, I can see smaller guys having advantages with straight up physical engagements are yeah. another matter entirely. And they're almost like physics are just phys- like physics or physics. Yeah, You're going to like, once the playing field is even and Pinelli's going up against the behemoths of this league, those battles aren't getting won anymore for the most part. And he has everything he needs to adapt to that. And he also has what it takes to just become better with puck protection, 
as a whole where it's less about like i will just like oh yeah let's go like just like take him on go shoulder in extend his right arm out with the puck and more so okay i'm just gonna shift away pivot puck at full reach just just keep as much distance shield with the body you know just the differences of like carrying for puck protection and like engaging in uh, in contact to gain space those two there's a fine line i don't even know if i'm properly describing it right but there is a fine line between of two of what i'm trying to say and i think Pinelli kind of strides on it he goes one way it's a boom he goes the other way well it's gonna be really hard to see him taking pucks in from the inside if he's yeah. losing every physical battle and the second that part of his game is gone he's out of the nhl he's not he's not playing and yeah. it's like that's i think where the general concern is i still i'm still lean with the point where i'm not concerned but with Pinelli, unlike brinley i see where the concern is coming from yeah is it, it they are in two different tiers for me like i i, I have brinley a very clear tier yeah. above Pinelli. Right? I, I agree. like like like, I, like that that's not really in doubt for me uh it's more of a thing of like okay Pinelli is also like it's also a thing of like i i just absolutely love the way Pinelli plays and i'm like it might not be the most the most rational decision, but again, it's a, it's a midterm board right now for me. Uh, but I'm just, yeah, everyone's still I'm, I'm, figure I'm, stage. I'm, I'm, I'm hedging my bets on him right now. I just, I, I love the way he plays the game. And it's like, okay, by the end of the season, I'll have a more serious, like, like internal monologue on, on the risk reward uh, factor with Pinelli. But for the time being, I, I also just kind of want to plant my flag as like, I love this player. I'm going to stick to this. I'm, I can point back to this in a few years if it turns out well, uh, or it'll look kind of dumb for having him this high right now. Either way, I'm comfortable doing it. But yeah, yeah it, it's, the, it's, it's, it's the end of season board where, where I'll really have that, that, that thought process of like, okay, do I there really are... want to have him over a guy like, like William Whitelaw, who has a significantly higher ceiling, right? And then conversely, do I want to have him higher than... Uh, a guy like I think I have him ahead of uh, who else? Obviously, Braden Yeager and uh, Nate Danielson and other names that are like more shoe ins for like third line roles. And it's like okay, but where where is the middle ground with Benelli? Right of like okay, I have him ahead of guys with higher upside and with higher fours. What do I think Benelli will be? Right, but yep. that that's something where. Even now, because I I totally see where you're coming from, where he's a he's a he's a tough nut to crack, like in terms of of, of how you value. Difficult read right now, and and I'm struggling with it with it, and I've watched him thirty plus times live, right? Like plus another like five or six video viewings. Like I I've watched I watched a lot of Luca Pinelli, and I can still totally see any outcome here, right? Because it's it's not a question of what he is now; it's can he do what he does at the next level? And that is a very tough question that yep. it, the I think, projectability with him is yeah. just that it's always, whenever a player is as hard to read the slate in the air, it's still the projectability conversation. And there's, yeah, you're subject to 50 different subjective takes. All of them can be valid if argued yeah. by the right person. And it just turns into this big complex web of interconnecting problems that need solving and it's just i 
he's it's almost like that that's a textbook example of why players like him sometimes fall because they're just like yeah he might work out but i don't want it you know it's just like yeah. i'll take someone else now you don't pass on him to draft a guy who you literally can get like for 1.3 mil every single year in the offseason but you do take nate danielson above him yeah i can see it you take yeah like who do i have right below him like Oscar Fisker Molgard, I can one hundred percent see that. Charlie Strammel, I can see it. Timur Mukhanov. Timur Mukhanov, I have above him. So yes, I can see that I, one. Like <laughs> like the names I have right behind Pinelli are probably all guys that 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 you have a tier above. I would assume uh, Dmitry Simashev, Riley Height, Dalibor Dvorsky, Will Whitelaw, and Luca Cagnoni. Like that's Simashev, Height, and Cagnoni are literally 12 13 14 for me yeah so so th- that's the thing for me of like okay i have him in that tier that goes down to will whitelaw of okay i could have had him 19th overall just fine but i kind of just wanted to plant my flag and that was again yeah. it's a midterm ranking it's going to change right like if, if if we were to look back at our preliminary rankings like we'd laugh because things change over time so much but yeah, I think on that note, we're going to conclude the episode uh, just so it's not the absolute editing nightmare that it already is for Aaron. Um, but good luck, buddy. I, I, I wish you luck with the editing. I'm sorry. I, um, I, I don't I don't need luck. I need an assistant. But, <laughs> uh, but, but on that note, uh, thanks so much for coming on, Sam. This was a very, very fun Thank episode. Thank you for having me. Uh, and yeah, thanks, Aaron and Josh, for, for to being here as always. And uh, on that note, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you again next week. And thanks so much for listening. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Sell kids for food.